First Peter chapter 5, and then, of course, Matthew 5. So we started our series on the Beatitudes a, several weeks ago, and we've entitled this series, The Kingdom is Ours. And I believe we're going to see again uh, here this morning how uh, that really does fit into kind of the, uh, the, the Beatitudes. But as I told you last week, we're going to spend a minimum of two weeks on each of them. And so I want us to look into 1 Peter 5 uh, for, our, for our main kind of text where our, where our points will uh, come from. And we're looking at cultivating humility this morning. And so when we think about being poor in spirit and humbly coming before the Lord, how do we, how do we cultivate that in our hearts and in our lives. Look at verse number 5 of 1 Peter 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So he started this amazing journey of the Beatitudes, which really is a pronouncement of blessing. From the Son of God. We began last week in Matthew 5, verse number 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Christ calls all of us this morning to, to recognize, as we learned last week, our poverty before God. You have much to offer your family. You have much to offer your business, your friends, or your, or your sports team. But we learned last week, when we stand before God, we are in an entirely different position. Remember the question that the Apostle Paul asked of, what do you have that, that isn't the Lord? He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it all is from the Lord. We saw the story of Isaiah who was one of the most talented and godly men in, in all of the Bible. And he came in contact with God to the, the holy, 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 Isaiah chapter 6 tells us. He came in contact with God. And what did he say? He's like, what was me? He said, I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. You find the same story of, in, in the life of Peter. When, when Jesus first called Peter to follow him, Peter's response was in Luke 5, when Simon Peter saw it, this was the, the massive um, accounting of fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, I've kind of, I, I, I've always liked Peter in the Bible. And I've always kind of just seen myself sometimes in his life or maybe his life, you know, in mine. But when you think of Peter, and maybe you've kind of gotten to know him a little bit more in the last couple years of even going through First Peter. But I don't think this was a thought that he regularly had about himself of, you know, I'm just a sinful man. I think Peter, prior to this moment, he was most likely a very, a very arrogant man. But in the presence of Jesus, he finds himself unworthy. And that is what happens when Christ comes near to you. If you recall last week, 
Those that are near to Christ, there's a, there's a humility about us. There's a making much of him and less of us. Yet we as Christians can live distant from him. And he never leaves us nor forsakes us. So I'm not preaching against what the word of God is. But it's that, it's that felt awareness, right? Where, where we know that, that, that we feel that he's close. When we don't, often it's much about us. And, and what we do. And, and we all have an ebb and flow of that. Even myself, for sure, is guilty of that. And we also saw how this poverty of spirit, it brings a surprising blessing. And this blessing is theirs is the kingdom of God. You have this, you, you have this, um, this taste of this kingdom of heaven, this taste right now. And we saw that this taste of heaven is that God lives with the person, a felt way of those who are of a humble spirit. Heaven is in the humble, we said last week, before the humble is actually in heaven. And it's a beautiful thing. Today we take the next step in our journey by asking this question, how can I cultivate this poor in spirit? How can, I, how can I cultivate this humility in my life? In the introduction of this series, we noted that this is a progression of Beatitudes. I use the analogy of the Beatitudes as, as monkey rings. Do you remember that? You kind of, kind of picture that. I don't have a picture for you, but in your mind of just the, these, these rings where you, you've got to get to one and then you swing to the next one. So it's rings of progression are these beatitudes. And here's what they are. Humility, mourning, meekness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, mercy, purity, peace. So you start with this humility. You start with with the roots, right? The roots of humility, which will then lead us to a mourning over our sin and then to a meekness of allowing God to lead where we take a step back and God, it's, it's your will, it's not mine. And we saw how Christ embodies that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When all of those roots begin to be cultivated, it springs up in a godly life of righteousness hungering and thirsting for that which will then bear fruit and that fruit is mercy forgiveness purity and then peace in our lives the rings at the end are often the ones we want the most look at that list humility mourning meekness righteousness mercy or being able to forgive purity and peace. That's what we want. And yet it starts at the beginning of these monkey rings, if you allow me, the progression of these beatitudes. I really want to have purity of heart, but I just don't know how to get rid of all of the stuff, all of the junk that messes me up. I really want to be a man or a woman of forgiveness, but how do I get beyond the wounds that are so evident in my heart and in life. I really want to have peace. And I want to be able to be a peacemaker. I want to be able to be someone that brings peace to other people. But how can I do that when there's so much turmoil in my very own life? 
Those are the questions we're asking, my friends. How do I get to being merciful? How do I get to the point where I can forgive? How do I get to purity? How do I get to peace? These things often seem to be a long way away from us. They seem to be beyond our reach. And for our analogy, they are until you start with the poor in spirit. Until we start with this humility, this cultivating it in our lives. Series of rings. And you move to the next with the momentum that you got from the first. And then so on and so forth. That's why it's so important. You've heard me say it now. This will be our third Sunday where I've kind of alluded to this. You've got to start here. You've got to get on. And all of us can get on. All of us can come before the Lord just completely bankrupt. God, I can't do this on my own. God, I can't forgive this person. God, I cannot purify my heart. God, I'm I'm struggling with this. I've got no peace in my life. There's nothing but turmoil. God, 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 I can't. But you can. Pure in spirit or poor in spirit. And instantly you begin the momentum to the next one. Being poor in spirit, hear me, it is a gateway to blessing. It's where you get started. There's no other place to begin. The way to purity, the way to peace, the way to forgiveness, forgiving others begins with becoming poor in spirit and using the momentum that you gain to move forward to the next ring. So today we're asking this question, how do I cultivate this? You spent last week, we're going to sit under the weight of Jesus' words always first. And then, okay, how do I, how do I cultivate this? So how do I, how do I cultivate, how do I get on the first ring, if you'll allow me to say that? Well, let me challenge you to get on that first ring by saying the curse of pride. Let me, let me, let, let me motivate you a little bit to get onto this first ring because God opposes the proud. Look at verse number five again. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you subject one to another and be clothed with humility. And for God resists, resists the proud. See, if you have this thought in your mind that God is always for everybody, You've got to get that out of your head. Now, yes, in Christ, he's always for everybody. He always sent Jesus Christ to redeem everybody. But if we have this idea that God is just always for us, we've we've got to challenge that thinking. Who's Peter writing to? If you remember, when we went verse by verse through 1 Peter, he's writing to believers He's writing to Christians and he's telling us that pride, it blocks this blessing of God. If I give way to pride, God will stand against me. I will come under his discipline. Why? Because God stands in the way of those that are proud. That's exactly what Peter is saying here. He opposes them, but he gives grace to the humble. There'll be a very different experience in life depending on whether you are pursuing pride or you are pursuing humility. See, for all who believe this, for all that are hearing this and, and, and they understand it and they believe the word, you know, what happens is, is it comes to a conclusion that is very obvious. If you want God to be for you and not against you, if you allow me to say that, then humble yourselves. 
and then under the mighty hand of God. And at the proper time, he's going to exalt you. The fight against pride, it's a lifelong battle. And that's why I say, I know every single person in here needs this message, including the one delivering it. Trust me, all week. It's like, God, I need this. It's a lifelong battle. Humility is the first grace given to a Christian. That is where the Christian journey begins. None of us entered into the Christian faith apart from humility, apart from God, I am a sinner. I am bankrupt before you. I need you to rescue me from my sin. Sanctification starts in the same exact place. Salvation starts with humility and sanctification. The, prog the progressive side of God working in your life starts with humility. But pride, pride's kind of the, the last enemy to be subdued. Pride was the first sin to enter into the world and it will be the last one to be expelled from it. The battle against pride is so hard, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest, it's a hard one. Let me give you a couple reasons why it's so hard. Humility goes against the grain of a self-affirming culture. Do you think we live in a self-affirming culture? Absolutely we do. And so humility, it goes against that grain. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, The Sermon on the Mount, he describes the mood of our time by saying this, express yourself, believe in yourself, Realize the powers that are innate in yourself and let the whole world see and know them. Sound familiar? That's the, that's the, the words of our culture here. Just express yourself. Just, just be whoever you want to be. And that's just our world. And it's championed 365 days out of the year. And our culture of affirmation, it sometimes seems that parents, teachers, Counselors, politicians, advertisers, they all conspire to tell you and me how great we are. And apart from a miracle of God's grace, we will actually start to believe it. We'll actually start to think that we are as great as everyone. Hey, hey, just go, just go promote yourself because you are great and you are wonderful. The teaching of Jesus is directly opposite to that creed because the believe in yourself, you know what Jesus says? Believe in me. Believe in the one who has sent me. The man who says believe in yourself has put himself in the place of God. So the person who's far from God the person who often feels that he or she has this amazing ability that I can face whatever comes my way. No matter what comes my week, I can handle it because I am great and I have all of the experience in this. I'm up for it. But the person who walks with God says something different. She looks at the challenges and she'll say like the psalmist, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. So can I ask you a question? Where's your confidence? Is your confidence in yourself? Is your confidence in your abilities of what you can do? See, wisdom, wisdom causes you to trust God and doubt yourself. You remember Proverbs 3, 5? What does Proverbs 3, 5 say? Trust 
in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to what? Our own understanding, our own abilities, our own knowledge, our own puffed upness. Trust in the Lord. You put the Lord first. You, 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 you trust him. You come bankrupt before him. You remain humble before him. But listen, that is so countercultural in the world that we live in that says it's all about you and what you want and who you are. The world turns that on its head. Go with your heart. Doubt God. Ah, God didn't really create you that way. How do you want to be viewed? How do, what do you want to be called? Go with your heart. Take who you think you are and let that flesh out and doubt the God of creation. Do you see the flip-flopped nature of what pride and humility really looks like? Satan has been working this inversion ever since the Garden of Eden. Ah, God hasn't really said that, Adam. Adam comes along and says, hey, if, if, I, I can't eat of that tree. If we even touch it, we're going to die, Eve says. And then the Satan comes along and it's like, God didn't really say that. God's keeping a wool over your eyes, inverting it. What do you want to be? There's something wrong with God and you are greater. Trusting yourself and doubting God is rampant in our culture so much that we cannot re realize it and recognize it from a lie at times. It's amazing how the secular society has crept into Christendom, even the way that we think, even the way that we're raising our own children. And so we've got to, why is, why is humility so hard? Why is pride so difficult to, to, to fight against? Because it's going against all of the self-affirming culture that's all around us. Let me give you a second reason. Humility goes against the trajectory of religion. See, religion works on the idea that you must live a life that is pleasing to God. Why? So that you could then gain favor from God. That is the fundamental idea of all religions across the world. But see, Jesus, he says precisely the opposite. He says the blessing of God belongs to those who cannot offer anything to God. So there's nothing to gain any of the favor of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit is what Jesus said. He's like, no, 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 bankruptcy, poverty before the Lord. That's the place where blessing starts. It's the exact opposite of our religious society around us. The gospel turns religion on its head. Every religion in the world says, live a life that pleases God and then you will win his favor. The gospel says, receive God's favor through Christ crucified so you may begin to pursue the life in the spirit that pleases God. Let me give you an example. The woman that's caught in the act of adultery, right? The Pharisees and the religious leaders, they bring her and they bring her before in the, into, into the center court there and they're getting ready to stone her for her adultery. And then Jesus shows up and Jesus begins to write in the sand. You know the story, right? And John begins to write. We don't know what he writes, 
But whatever he did write in the sand causes them to leave one by one, by the oldest to the youngest, leaving one by one. And now only one that's left before Jesus is this woman. Most likely if she's caught in the act of adultery, most likely she doesn't have any clothes on because those religious leaders of the crowd, they wouldn't have spared her shame at all. They wouldn't have put any kind of blanket around on her. No, they would have shamed her to to her core and would have brought her and thrown her in front of everybody else, getting ready to kill her. And Jesus asked her a question, where's your accusers? Where's your accusers? And Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee. Now go sin no more. Jesus is saying, you've got my favor. Now in the power of that favor, go live in the spirit. Certainly New Testament, post-cross, post-resurrection. Go live in the spirit and live in that favor. Live in that freedom. Live in the way that we say often, hey, you got to live a certain way and then God will bless you. That's what religion says. You know what? This turns it up on its head. Humility goes against the trajectory of religion. That's why it's so hard. Pride's so hard to fight because society is just pumping. Be awesome, you, whoever you think you ought to be. Trust in yourself. And then religion is just pumping the garbage where the gospel inverts that. Let me say thirdly, the blessing of God itself makes humility harder. Think with me through that. It's the irony. The poor in spirit, what do they experience? The blessing of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. But the more you and the more I experience God's blessing, the more difficult it makes to stay in a place where you're in poor in spirit. The more you're blessed, the less bankrupt you feel. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's this like weird irony that goes along with this. If a student gets just straight A's all the time, it's hard to kind of, you know, tell them, hey, that they don't have anything to offer. The more successful you are, the easier it is to believe that you really are something. And the harder it is to humble yourself before God. Let me give you a couple of examples. Let's say your children believe while others are rebelling. It's difficult to not swell up and be like, man, I'm a good dad. Look at my kids compared to whoever. It's easy to not remain in that humble, poor in spirit state. Why? Because you're being blessed. It's hard. If your marriage prospers while your friends is falling apart, your business succeeds while others are failing, your ministry grows when others are declining, it's hard to avoid the sneaking feeling that you have done something right. And you have That's the blessing of God. But our flesh, it likes to say, yeah, it's because you did it. It's because you're this awesome parent or whatever other analogy that I gave. Success of any sort in any sphere tends to make us think that we are something. And thank God for the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit comes along and he convicts us and convinces us of even the sin of our own life and the righteousness and then the judgment. And so without him, I don't think we would ever be, no blessings would ever belong to us because we would get so puffed up. The struggle against pride, it's going to be a lifelong battle. 
The more you get blessed, the harder it is. Religion, that's not helping. Society, oh, that's definitely not helping. It's hard. So let me give you secondly. You've listened well. We doing okay? All right. Let me give you secondly the blessing of humility. So the curse of pride is God's going to resist that. Let me motivate you. Hey, let's get on this. Let's get on this rung. Well, what's the blessing that comes with humility? Obviously, we spoke a little bit into this last week, but I want to do more so today. And that is that God gives grace in verse five. Gives grace to the humble. Resist the proud. Stands against the pride, the, the, the proud one, or in, in the moment of that pride, it's like, no, no, God's standing against that, but he gives grace to the humble. Last time we saw that the poor in spirit, they're, they're blessed because God lives with them. There's a, they're, they're, he lives with all of the believers, but there's a felt livedness. There's a, there's a reality of him being there. He dwells with those who are lowly and have a contrite heart. That's the first and greatest blessing. But the presence of God brings a whole cluster of other blessings like the blessing of growing in humility will help you bear affliction it'll help you bear affliction earlier in first peter beloved think it not strange concerning the fire trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you peter speaks about how their faith is going to be tested like gold that's been refined in the fire 1 Peter 1, 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. See, trouble is on the horizon. And Pastor Peter writes to prepare them for it. And, and he says, I want you to be able to stand up under it. And how are they going to do that? You're going to humble yourselves under God's almighty hand. That's how you get through it, is what Peter says. God gives grace to the humble. What is the entire context of 1 Peter? Suffering. It's the entire context. They're literally been thrown out of their homes. Remember when we went verse by verse to it? It's the context of it. And he's like, but he gives grace to the humble. So for you to be able to withstand this, God allows suffering sometimes into our life. Sometimes it's his very refining fire in your life. That, that radical grace but he gives it to you to be able to go through it. Job's wife, she was a proud woman. When trouble came to her way, she said, why don't you just curse God and die? But Job, Job was a humble man. You remember how Job started? Remember how he's sitting in his, in, in, in his ashes, just literally just mourning before what God did? He's humble before the Lord. And he says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Difference of pride Ah, just curse God and die. And, man, blessed is the, be, be, be the name of the Lord. So it helps you make it through trials. Who hasn't been through some trials lately? Go through it humbly and you're given grace to be able to go through it. Let me say this, growing in humility will nourish your love for others. 1 Corinthians 13 teaches teaches us that love, it doesn't boast. True love, this agape love, it's, it's not arrogant. Love doesn't insist on their own way. This is who I am. This is how I want you to recognize me. That's our world today. You know what true love is? True love is, eh, I don't need that. You don't, I don't, you, you don't have to 
see it from my perspective. I'm not going to insist on my own way. Read 1 Corinthians 13. It's all about this. Putting others before you. Pride, pride's always seeking self. Pride is always provoking. Here is what that means. Pride will pour cold water on the fires of love in your relationship or love in your marriage. If you begin to think more highly of yourself, your marriage, my marriage, is going to be in trouble. But humility will fan the flames, fan the embers of that love into a beautiful flame. Perhaps you've come to the place where you're wondering, man, do I, do I really love that person? Do I really love him? Do I, do I really love her? The world says, well, you've only got to think about yourself. And if you don't anymore, you just, you just get out of that relationship. You just get out of that marriage. If you have many friends who might say the same thing to you, you ought to, you ought, you ought, you ought to question those friendships because Christ precisely says the opposite. Philippians 2, verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Then verse number 8, And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, speaking of Jesus, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So the path to restoration, the restoration of any kind of relationship, whether it's a marriage or just a friendship or just any type of relationship, if it's burning low, the answer is Philippians 2. The answer isn't, well, I mean, I'm going to get whatever I want. Man, this is my relationship. You ought to treat me this way. Don't you know who I am? No, no, no. I'm going to look to the other. Man, this is hard. It's hard. It's hard. Let me say thirdly, growing in humility will strengthen you to overcome temptation. Oh, I just can't. I just can't purify my heart. I, I just can't stop looking at that stuff. I just can't stop thinking this way. I just can't stop talking this way. Listen, what is Proverbs 16, 18 says? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So the Bible tells us that the person who thinks he stands should be very, very careful lest he fall, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10. See, if, cry, if pride comes before the fall, then humility is the grace that will help you stand. It will help you to endure the temptation that you are struggling with. It is the person who knows the weakness of his or her own flesh who will watch and who will pray and who will not fall into temptation. Pride is the gateway sin that opens the door to other sins. Pride goes before destruction. It always starts there. The fall of man started, started with Satan, started with pride. Humility is the gateway blessing that opens the door to other blessings. They're both gateways. Pride's the gateway to more sin, to more destruction. Humbleness, humility is the gateway to the rest of the Beatitudes, which are beautiful blessings. Let me say this also. Growing in humility will release you from the tyranny of self, from the tyranny of self. I don't know what everyone might be thinking this morning, but some might be feeling, you know, that whole pride thing, that's like a really far away thing for me. My problem is not that I love myself. My problem is that I hate myself. See, this is a great battle for some people, and it's particularly a big battle for this younger generation. 
You might experience it in an intense way. You get up in the morning in your head, it's like, I I just hate myself. Perhaps sometimes you even think about harming yourself. Listen to what A.W. Tozer in his book, The Man Dwelling Place of God said. Oh, so helpful. Self, whether swaggering or groveling, can never be anything but hateful to God. Boasting is an evidence that we are pleased with self. Belittling is evidence that we are disappointed with self. His point is simple. Either way, we're focused on self. See that? Self is dominating. Self is at the center. When you hate yourself, you are simply battling with an inverted form of pride. Self is still dominating your mind. What what Tozer's trying to say is they're both pride. They're just the opposite coins, opposite sides of the same coin. Satan doesn't rather really care whether you're swaggering or whether you're groveling, whether it's self-exalting or you're condemning. The problem's the same. He's just glad that you're consumed with yourself. And so what humility does is humility helps us to break free of the tyranny of self, whether it's, man, I am something, or, oh, I'm just nothing. They're both all about self. And humility breaks that chain. We doing okay? Man, I came in today... I knew what kind of message it was, and I felt like there was like a, like a sleepiness to church, and I think that's the humidity. It's hot in here to me, at least. Should have had fans rolling already. It's that time of year. It's, got, it's raining out. I don't know if it's still raining, but humidity, it's, I'm just like, and so I'm like, God, empower that. So let me help you with this. How do we cultivate this? How do we cultivate it? How do we cultivate humility? Right, so we see we see the dangers of pride it means God resists us. We see we see the blessing of humility. It does a lot of when you look at other scriptures, it does a lot of things in our lives. So how do we how do we cultivate it, Ryan? I clearly I've I, I'm given I'm given two options. I don't want pride. I want to emphasize humility. Well, the word cultivate reminds us that this is a lifelong pursuit. So none of us this morning are going to be able to get the badge humble <laughs> and be able to walk out here today. Okay. But these are, I want to give you some practical tools that can help you with it. It's not a one-time deal. Let me say this. Measure yourself by the law of God. Okay, so use the Bible as your searchlight in your soul. Measure yourself by 1 Corinthians 13. How are you loving? I'm not going to take the time to go through it, but how are you loving? Love doesn't insist on its own way. So why am I insisting on my own way? Love's not irritable. Love's not resentful. So help me, Lord, to not be as irritable when I'm resentful. Help, open the Bible and ask God to show you yourself. Measure yourself by the Ten Commandments. Measure yourself by the Great Commission. Measure yourself by the Beatitudes. Measure yourself by the Sermon on the Mount. Measure yourself by anything and everything that God calls you into in the Bible. And when you do that, I promise you, you'll be poor in spirit. It's such a gift. God's law to us is a 
gift because it's so undoable that you become poor in spirit. If God's law was doable, why did Jesus have to come? Those of you that have been in our 10 o'clock series and we've been seeing just, you know, kind of the redemptive story through Scripture, we know, I mean, the law is unbending. It's, it's impossible to even possibly keep. You will find yourself saying when you come under this, <laughs> this law of the Lord, I, God, Lord, I fall so short of what you're calling me to. I need to find you. And I don't have that. I don't have it in and of myself. And that is where the Christian life begins every day. Paul says something fascinating about how to use the law. He says our schoolmaster, he says the law is our schoolmaster until Christ comes in Galatians 3. It is the, it is the word pedagogy. Uh, we probably would use the word today mentor. The law has given us as a mentor to bring us to Christ. So use what God has called you to in Scripture, not to be like, oh, I've got to go fulfill that this week. If that's how you're feeling right now, I'm doing a poor job. Instead, examine yourself according to that so that you can then be rescued in Christ who fulfilled it perfectly. But if we're thinking somehow, I'm going to go out into my week and I'm going to do this perfectly, there's no humility in that. But instead, allow it to bring a humility in you. I don't have what it takes. And the good news is that Jesus sees you in your need. And he says, blessed are you because in your need you are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is where the law brings you. The end of the law is the beginning of the gospel. And so allow the law to crush you. It's beautiful because then it frees you to cling to the gospel. It'll bring you to the place called poor in spirit. And that is right where Christ will meet you. How do you cultivate it? Well, you don't cultivate it by trying to be humble. You cultivate it by like, okay, God, you called me to do that. Ooh, God, you called me to do that. Oh, I'm supposed to love this way in 1 Corinthians 13. Ooh, the beatitude. Ooh, oh, the Sermon on the Mount. Yikes, the Ten Commandments. That's how you get humble. You start realizing what you're actually called to. And that's not the fuel to make you do it. Jesus said to the woman, neither do I condemn thee, now go sin no more. The favor comes, and then the power rests in that. So measure yourself by the law. Secondly, model yourself on the Son of God. See, I have every reason to be humble because my sins are many. At my best, I fall short of what God calls me to be and to do. But there is more to humility than being put in our place. There's more to being uh, humility than just you just recognizing your sins. See, Jesus was humble and Jesus was without sin. The humility of Jesus did not arise. Hear me. It did not arise from his sin. My first point was let your humility rise from your sin because you're not keeping the law. So let it rise from that sin. Secondly, 
let it rise from who Jesus is. Because his humility, it sprung from another source. Andrew Murray is the the writer who really opened this up for me in his book, Humility. If humility is to be our joy, we must see that it is not only the mark of shame. Okay, that's the first point. It's not only the mark of our shame because of sin, but apart from all sin, humility is being clothed upon with the very beauty and blessedness of heaven and of Jesus. So Murray, in his book on humility, I'd encourage some of you to get that, he goes on to explain that humility is something deeper than contrition. It's something deeper than, okay, I'm going to measure myself by the word. I'm going to measure myself by his commands. Boom, that ought to bring you to humility because we don't do it. But it also, Christ did fulfill it. Christ is perfectly humble. And we find what he's saying is, is that humanity in its highest perfection is humble. In Christ, we find our our highest destiny in the pursuit of humility. My friends, I've called this series The Kingdom is Ours because the Beatitudes describe a life that is radiant with the beauty of Christ. Christ burns pride to ashes and in its place forms the beauty of a truly humble heart. That's current kingdom living right now. Christ's life in us. We listen to Christ. We learn from Christ. We model ourselves after the Son of God who says, take my yoke upon you for it is easy. What does he say? For I am gentle. I am lowly in heart. It's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I can't do anything on my own through the Father. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to fully submit my will to the Father. He says, I'm not going to do my own will. God, would you please let this cup pass from me? Nevertheless, not thy will. John 8, 50 says, I don't seek my own glory. If these are the words of Jesus, He says, I'm gentle and I'm lowly. I can do nothing on my own apart from the Father in John 5. And then in John 6, he says, I didn't come to do my own will. And then in John 8, he says, I don't even seek my own glory. These are the words of Christ. How much more should they be Ryan's? Let's model after that. Let me give you one more. Motivate yourself through the grace of God. See, humility is a grace hear me, that brings more grace. People who are poor in spirit, who know their need, their poverty before God, they have a blessing that will lead to even greater blessings. Because what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. 
So you're already poor in spirit. You've already been, you've already been graced in Christ to be able to do that. And now as you're living a humble life, there's more blessing because more grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I encourage you to get to the first ring today. I encourage you to allow the weight of this message intended to be heavy to bring you to a place of, God, I can't do this without you. And then celebrate that grace. Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessings of purity, blessings of mercy, being able to forgive, blessings of peace. Those all lie ahead of you. But you got to start with, Lord, I need you. These things can be yours, but you have to begin here. Got it. You've got to start in the first ring. I'm telling you, this is trans, this has revolutionized my pastoring. When I'm talking with people and they're struggling with certain things, I'm finding myself week after week after week just going back to this. Let's start over. Come to Jesus Christ today and tell him that you do not have what it takes to live this life in and of yourself. Tell him that you don't have the power in and of yourself to change. Ask him to give it to you and you'll find that that resurrection power within you is no longer being resisted. Grace is being given to the humble and it unleashes blessing. Christ in you, kingdom now, changes the way we live. So let it. Every head bowed, every eye closed.